1: you say well that's great no it ain't (laughs) because here's what happens you're constantly condemned Say, wait a minute you're describing my marriage stick with specifically what we're talking about here you're married to the law the law is perfect and every day the law is condemning you because you don't measure up you don't measure up to the perfection the law represents and so you never feel satisfied you're never satisfied
0: Trying to live by the law or all the rules found in the Bible is a lot like thinking that you're marrying the perfect person. You come into your marriage with high expectations, only to be constantly condemning your spouse. If you're married to the law, then every day you're being convicted because you don't measure up. Pastor Danny shares how living this way will never bring satisfaction or peace. Instead, you're called to live by grace and to extend that same grace to your not-so-perfect spouse. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Romans chapter eight as he begins his message, Life in the Spirit.
1: book of Romans. Grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. I have finally made the switch from the 1984 New International Version of the Bible, and I'll be teaching now out of the 2011 version. Uh, do I like it better than the 1984? No. Do I think it's a crime they stopped printing the 1984? Yes. Yes write them a letter. But people ask me often what version of the Bible I teach out of. And because I've been teaching out of the 1984, I tell them the 1984 New International Version. You can still get them online. As a matter of fact, I apologize for the couple of people in the last few weeks have actually found 1984 New International Versions online. You've ordered them. I guess I owe you for a Bible. Because now, even though I still have the 1984, and I'll use it and read from it, they don't print them anymore. So I got to use a different version that's easier for people to get a hold of. So I'm reading from 2011, the NIV. Now, here's what's going to happen for the first few minutes. I'm going to read so much scripture that if you're still awake when I stop reading, that means you are very disciplined and you care. Because we're going to read a lot. Chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives. Talking about the law of Moses, 10 commandments, etc. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So right away, we have a marriage illustration and that thought will continue throughout the passage. So then... If she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Makes sense. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. The idea is you were married to the law. Now, you've died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another To him who was raised from the dead, Jesus Christ is the eternal bridegroom, that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit. And not in the old way of the written code. That's very important. Verse seven, what shall we say then? This is where this is a really long section here. Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet, but sin. Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. Pause there for just a minute. The idea is when the sign is up, don't walk on the grass, there's something inside that says, why don't they want me to walk on the grass? I think I'll walk on the grass. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin... Seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. That which is good then become death to me by no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that... Through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Kind of what we talked about last bit, that God wants to show man his sin through the law. Verse 14. We know the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual. Soul is a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. This is the Apostle Paul talking here. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And again, I get a witness. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. It's not an excuse. It's just a reality. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do it's no longer I who do it but it's sin living in me that does it. If you are really a Christian you've really been born again and the spirit of God now lives in you guess what you're schizo. That's what that passage is talking about. You have a dual nature in your sinful nature what, what the, your body you know and what the passions of your body You want to walk on the grass, but inside and in your mind and your mind and your heart are connected. You want to do what's right, but you keep messing up. You want to be perfect, but you're not. Verse 21, so I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me every day. Friend, my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Then he asked the question, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Now we're going to pause right there, but we got more to read. But if you're still awake right now, here's where we were in chapter 6. It's a rationale for righteousness. Rationale: a logical basis for a course of action or belief. And here's what we looked at. Sin results in death. We saw that death is not just physical. As a matter of fact, it's more than physical, it's spiritual. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. When you go astray, you're spiritually dead. When you do what you don't want to do, that's death, spiritual death. Sin causes me to forfeit God's intended blessings for my life. We flipped the coin last week. Righteousness leads to holiness. When I do what's right, leads to holiness. All holiness is, is living for the Lord, living for God, living a righteous life, doing what's right. And so when you're set apart, you're holy under the Lord. And then that holiness results in eternal life. Eternal life, just like death is not just physical death, it's spiritual life. The life he's talking about in eternal life is not going to heaven. Some people think I'll get eternal life when I go to heaven. No, if you've been born again, if you put your faith in Christ, you have eternal life now, now. And now what God intended in terms of blessings you can have by doing what's right and living a holy life. You can experience on a daily basis eternal life. Now, with all that we just read, here's the subject matter in the context of everything we have read and are going to read in just a moment. It's the new way of the Spirit. What is the new way of the Spirit? Contrasted to the old way of the written code. New way of the Spirit. I think if you back up to chapter two, it gives you the best simple understanding by these couple of verses in chapter 2, verse 14, indeed when Gentiles, non-Jews, who do not have the law, law came through Moses, law came through a Jew to the Jewish people. And so a Gentile may not know anything about Moses, may not know, anything, may not know the Ten Commandments. So when Gentiles, and he's talking about those who have put their faith in Christ, who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they're a law for themselves. Even though they don't have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. And here's the key. If you have been born again, if you repented, it means I've turned from going my way. I've received Christ as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit has now done a work in your life. The Holy Spirit lives in you and you're a different person on the inside. And now you don't have to go and and, and get a list of, oh, now what do I need to do? Listen, the Spirit already, because of the change in your heart, you're already a different person. And the law God wrote on your heart and now you'll begin to live differently just because the Spirit of God has changed your heart. It's an amazing thing. Amazing thing. It's miraculous. And now God wants you to live. Not the old code. Not the old. i we're going to look at what that's like. The old way, but the new way of the Spirit. What's the old way? Well, again, it's the marriage illustration. So you were married to the law. Now you're married to Christ. What was it like being married to the law? Well, let me tell you, um, you were married to Mr. and Mrs. Perfect. You say, I want to be married to Mr. and Mrs. Perfect. No, you don't. By the way, you thought you were marrying Mr. Perfect, but if you've been married at least a year, you realize he's not Mr. Perfect. You thought you were marrying Miss Perfect? Guess what? You didn't marry Miss Perfect because he ain't, ain't but one, and his name is Jesus. Your spouse is messed up. Especially the guys, man. The men, we're like, the, the wives are thinking, would you just get with the program? Here's the problem. We don't know what the program is. <laughs> we thought we knew. But here's the illustration. It's the marriage illustration. You were married to the law. You were married to Mr. and Mrs. Perfect. You say, well, that's great. No, it ain't. Because <laughs> here's what happens. You're constantly condemn. You say, wait a minute, you're describing my marriage. Stick with specifically what we're talking about here, you're married to the law. The law is perfect. And every day, the law is condemning you because you don't measure up. You don't measure up to the perfection the law represents. And so, you never feel satisfied. You're never satisfied. Your spouse isn't satisfied because your spouse is always telling you, what you're doing wrong? Here's what you're doing. Here's what you And it's a list, man. You just keep, and you just keep on doing it. And that, you can never measure up. You can never be what your spouse wants you to be. You can never be what they are because they're perfect. It's a miserable relationship. Miserable relationship. Now, you've been set free. Guess what? You died to the law. Christ died to set you free. Christ died to set us free from the law but don't miss the second part of this i died in order to marry christ he died to set me free but you're not really free until you die to yourself you give yourself to christ you give yourself to christ i do until death do us part and even after forever <laughs> you He died to set you free. You died in order to marry him. Paul writes in Colossians, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Fascinating. And then we were given some reminders. It's chapter seven and we read it, but let's go back. Marriage to the law temporarily was essential. Why? Because God wanted us to know that the problem in the relationship, we're the problem. We're the problem. Can't blame the law. Can't blame our spouse. Perfection. We're the problem. And we had to know that. Otherwise, we would think, well, we do measure up. No, we don't measure up. So the law had to show us that. (laughs) The problem with the relationship was you, was me. And guess what? (laughs) You're still imperfect. You're schizo. You're a schizo now. Things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And you got this struggle now. And it's a daily struggle. You've been born again. Spirit of God lives in you. You're a different person on the inside. But every day now, you got that challenge. And you're still as imperfect. You're still imperfect. Perfection's coming in heaven. But we ain't in heaven yet. Things I want to do, I end up not doing. Things I don't want to do, I end up crazy, crazy thing going on. Before you were committed to Christ, you might have had some conscience, but you were doing what you wanted to do. But now, now, see, things are different. But you're still imperfect. You want to say this with me? Do it anyway. Last line. Ready? Despite my continued imperfection through Christ, I've been rescued by grace through faith. Can you say hallelujah to that? He asked the question, who will rescue me? What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God. Verse 25, chapter 7, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. but according to the spirit. Here's what we have. We have a new relationship and it's a spiritual reality. Absolutely blows my mind every day when I think about it. Ephesians 2 tells us you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive with Christ and he seated us in the heavenly realms with Christ. One of my favorite verses, Colossians 2, say this one with me. Ready? Ready? When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ's side of the marriage relationship now is he treats us as if we were perfect. In the sense of his relationship with us, his love for us. Oh, oh, listen, Christ will forgive you. He will forgive me when nobody else will forgive me. Your mom might not forgive you. Your dad might not forgive you. Christ will forgive you. You know what he does in the relationship once he forgives you? We're talking Christian now. Once you you make a mistake as a Christian, and then you come back, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Oh, Christ, please forgive me. And guess what? The definition of love is God's love, 1 Corinthians 13. One of the characteristics I love more, maybe as much and more than any of them, keeps no record of wrongs. You'll never hear it from him again. You'll never hear, well, you remember, I get messed up back there. No, done. Keeps no record of wrongs. You talk about love. He'll talk to you when nobody else will talk to you. He'll fellowship with you. He'll forgive you. Absolutely amazing. And so I say all that to come to the, I think, the most important part of the text. And these last few verses... Years ago, my wife and I went to this marriage retreat, and uh, I was excited about it because somebody else was paying for it, (laughs) and they sponsored us, and and it wasn't a Calvary Chapel thing. It was Pastor Peter arranged it for us, and we went to Orlando, and we stayed uh, in a hotel in Orlando with other people that were there at the retreat, and we went to the first session, and the teacher, this guy, he was really good, man. He was good, a great, great teacher. And then after the first session, we were assigned uh, some things to do back in our room. And that's the part I didn't enjoy. Wendy and I had to sit and go through the list and ask one another questions. And and I didn't enjoy it, but I I enjoyed the fruit of it. One of the exercises we had to do, we had to ask one another on a scale of one to ten. We had to rate our marriage. And one is, you'd It's terrible. It's tanked, and you're about about to divorce. You're on your way to divorce. And 10, it just can't get any better. It is right now, you know. Not a lot of people live every day at a 10. And so one of the challenges was you were to let your spouse rate the marriage, and then you were not to react. Here's what we've discovered over the years in doing this kind of thing the man the husband will always rate the marriage higher than it really is or higher than a woman rates it and sometimes he's not he's just doing it innocently why because he thinks he's he thinks everything's okay and it's not okay and if you're, if your wife says when you say what do you feel it is on a scale of 1 to 10 if she says a 4 you can't say 4 what do you mean a 4 and you start to tell her all the reasons why it's not a four, it's an eight. Yeah. But after you get through that challenging, challenging exercise, then you're to switch gears and go, okay, if, if you feel it's a four, what can I do as your husband to make it a five? And they were very clear that you don't go to, what do I do to make it a 10? Because that's like 18 things in the next 24 hours. You know, and that's impossible, you know. And so what you would do, if she says it's a four, and I think at the time I was, a, I was a five, and I thought it was an eight, what can I do to make it a six? And your spouse knows, and they'll tell you, here's what you can do. Here's what you can work on to make it a six. Then you have another meeting later, you know, and you give it time, you know, hey, how are we doing? How are we doing? If you go fishing with us, catching with us, we have a standing rule. When we're leaving the dock, we appoint one guy to pray. If you're married, your marriage has to be on a scale of eight or above because we want to catch fish. We want our prayers to be answered.
0: Thanks for joining us today to study the Book of Romans here on the Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. You can hear this message again or more of Pastor Danny's teachings at our website ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or would simply like to talk with us, feel free to send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. If you're in or near the St. Petersburg area, we would be happy to meet you in person. We invite you to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. Check out our website for service times and all the information you need to join us. In addition to our in-person services, we also live stream each service. So don't let distance hold you back from worshiping with us this weekend. Find out more on our website. Once again, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in again next time as Pastor Danny continues to teach through the Book of Romans right here on The Living Word.